Tell Josh, thank you, and all the leaders, thank you for uh, giving me the opportunity to, to be able to teach God's Word, and I don't take it lightly. I really uh, have grown to appreciate people that come, that go and teach week in and, and week out, and uh, what a responsibility that is, and, um, and it's a lot of work, but it's, um, it's awesome to be able to know that um, God saved me and has given me His Spirit and has given me opportunity from time to time to share uh, His Word and His truth. So I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for Josh and trusting me to be able to, uh, to speak to you guys tonight. I know we have some adults in here, and, and what the youth group is doing and what Josh has done is he's gathered a group of men that is going through the entire Bible, book by book, and showing how we can see Jesus Christ in each of those books. And um, so my, uh, my turn is up tonight, and, um, and we're going to be in the book of Ruth. Uh, I've got a handout there. If you don't have a copy, I think there's some more copies over there. And it's not just a handout, it's the entire book of Ruth. So we're going to attempt to try to go through verse by verse. Uh, if, it gets, if I get too long-winded, I want this to be interactive because I've got questions to ask after we'll go through a section of Scripture and then we're gonna, I'm going to have some questions and, and all the answers will be um, contained in that section of Scripture that we're going to look at. So it's a lot. Um, it's four chapters. It's a small book, but man, it's packed with, with a lot. And I must admit, it's a challenge for me because I've spent more time in the New Testament than I have in the Old Testament. So when, um, when I teach from the Old Testament, it's kind of intimidating, just to be honest with you, because I feel like I'm better equipped um, or maybe more studied in the New Testament. But what a blessing it has been for me just to examine God's Word and look at it um, intently and try to um, allow the Spirit of God to, uh, to reveal to me His truth. So with that, um, let's pray. Dear Gracious Father, we thank You for tonight, Lord, and I just thank You for the opportunity uh, to come before these people and to uh, bring forth Your Word, Lord. And I just pray that Your Holy Spirit, as Drew prayed, would work in the hearts and the minds of the ones that are here I pray, Lord, that You would help each one of us that are here to block out the cares and the worries of the day. And Lord, to just look at Your Word and allow Your Spirit to work uh, through the words that You penned. And so, God, we just thank You for, um, for the truth of Your Word. I pray, Lord, that You help us to see things maybe we never saw before or never thought about. And most importantly, Lord, we pray that You help us to... Um, to uh, be good stewards uh, of, of Your Word, Lord, and to, um, to be a testimony and to bring honor and glory to You because of Your Son, Jesus Christ. And we ask these things in Christ's name and for His sake. Amen. Okay? So, um, the book of Ruth, as I mentioned, it's just four chapters. Um, there's only two books in the Bible that have a uh, female name. Of course, this one that we're going to look at tonight, Ruth, is anybody, can anybody think of the other book in the Bible? Go ahead. 
Did you say it? I'm, I'm deaf. I have hearing aids. Okay, good. Thank you. Yeah, that's right. So the book of Esther and the book of Ruth. And so, um, so we're going to look at the first five verses. I'm going to read the. I'm going to read these verses, and then I'm probably going to ask some of you guys that have good loud voices to read some as we progress through chapter one. The book of Ruth. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land, and a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech. The name of his wife was Naomi. And the names of his two sons were Malon and Chilion. By the way, if any of y'all have children, I think Chilion's a good name. It may be a good name for a son, wouldn't it? Sorry about that. I just I like that name, Chilion. Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they went out, or they went to the country of Moab and remained there. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left, and her two sons. Now they took wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other, Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. Then both Malon and Chilion also died. So the woman survived her two sons and her husband. So as you can see, one thing I like about the book is it moves very quickly. It gives you a lot of information, and we get a lot of information in these first five verses or so. So what is the time frame and the setting? What's going on during this time? Anybody? Go ahead. There's a famine in the land. And, and what, what's going on during this time frame? Who's ruling in Israel? I think Joseph just got finished. Didn't you go through that book, Joseph? Who was, what does it say in verse 1? Uh, it was the days when what? When judges ruled. Okay. So in verse, in the second verse, the characters are introduced. Who are the characters, the main characters? Go ahead. Yep, that's one of them. Yep. Yep, and they're two sons. So we see that we see that in verse two. And so where did they go? They went to Moab. So I'm going to stop right there for just a moment because I think it's important that you understand who the Moabites were. Um, does anybody know who they were descendants from? I'll just tell you a little bit about it. If you go back and look in Genesis chapter. 19, I believe it is. You remember the story when Lot and was delivered from Sodom and Gomorrah? And if you'll recall, if you go back and look in Genesis chapter 19, so Lot and his two daughters were, were in an area and they were like living in a cave. And Lot got drunk and his daughters plotted a plan and they seduced their own father and... Moab was the daughter of, um, I'm sorry, Moab was the son of Lot and his oldest daughter. So you've got an incestuous relationship here. So they went, when there was a famine in the land, they went to this land 
that was, these were the descendants of, the, of Moab, the Moabites. So this was a pagan nation. These were people that served pagan gods. As a matter of fact, when I was reading a little bit about the Moabites, they even had like uh, human sacrifice, baby sacrifices and stuff. So this was an evil people. But I think during this time, there was at least a pretty good relationship possibly between the Israelites and the Moabites. But keep that in mind. So here, uh, Elimelech, Naomi, and his kids, his two sons, they're in this um, uh, pagan land. So what happens to Elimelech? He dies. Okay. And so after that, uh, what happens? What do the two sons do? Go ahead. They get married. So they marry two Moabite women. And so it says in, that, in the text there that they lived there for about 10 years. So then what happened to the two sons? They died. So here we are in the first five verses. We've got Naomi and, and her husband's died. And now her two sons, they marry women and... Both of the sons die, so you've got three widow women and in, a, in a foreign land, and not to mention there's a famine. So I'm going to continue in verse 6. It's the bottom, the bottom of the first page. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab that the Lord had visited His people by giving them bread. Therefore she went out from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each to her mother's house. The Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest even in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. For they said to her, Surely we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Back, my daughters, why will you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughters, go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, if I should have a husband tonight, and should also bear sons, would you wait for, for them till they were grown? Would you restrain yourselves from having husbands? No, my daughters, for it grieves me very much for your sakes that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Verse 14. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Verse 15, and she said, Look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And where and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything, but death parts you and me. So, 
In verse 6 and 7, we find out that Naomi and her two daughter-in-laws, they leave Moab and they're returning to Judah. Okay? So what happens in verses 7 and 8? What does Naomi urge her daughter-in-laws to do? I've got to talk loud for the old man. Go ahead. Yeah, go back. Go back and do what? Yeah, go back to your husband's houses and go back to your parents. You know, this is your land. Go back. So, so she urges them to go back. And um, what's their initial reaction in verse 10? Both daughters, what do they say? That's right. So they say their initial reaction is no. We're going to go with you. We love, they love their mother-in-law. We're going to go. We're going to go with you to your people. So when we look at verses 11 through 15, Naomi continues to urge them to go back home. And so we see that Orpah, the one sister, she goes back to her people and goes back to her gods but Ruth, it says that she clings to her mother-in-law. So Orpah's initial reaction was, we're going to go with you. But after the urging of her mother-in-law saying, you just need to go back to your people, then she left. And so after she left... Um, You know, here's Naomi again. She, she urges Ruth, why don't you follow after your, your sister-in-law and go back with her and with her gods? And Naomi is steadfast in saying, no, I'm sorry. Ruth is steadfast in saying, no, I'm going to go with you. She's committed. So why do you think Orpah, with her initial reaction of I'm going to stay with you, and now... She goes back. What do you think happened there? And this is all speculation, but what do you think happened with, with the one daughter that returned to her people and to her gods? Anybody? Got any ideas? You ever thought about that? May got remarried. Um, on the next page here, um, let's look at verses 16 and 17. What does verse 16 and 17 say about Ruth's commitment? Yeah. I mean, if I looked at that, I would say this is one person that is determined. There was no changing her mind. She was like, no, I'm going with you, and I'm going to be with your, your people are going to be my people, and your God is going to be my God. So, Think about, think about two people, two different people, both make professions of I'm going to do something, but then ultimately one follows through with the commitment and the other one doesn't. In a roundabout way, that kind of made me think about people, and maybe you can think of people that you know that may make a commitment to Christ that they may say, yeah, I, I believe in Jesus Christ and I'm going to serve Him. But then they go right about to their old lifestyle and go right about doing the things that they did previous. 
So there's no change in behavior. There's no lifestyle change. So I think, just from studying this, I think Ruth is a picture of a true conversion. And as we continue through the book, you'll see that there's evidence of that. So true salvation, this is one of the things that I think all the leaders and all the believers in here uh, will, will certainly agree that true conversion manifests itself or reveals itself in a changed life. Isn't that right, Josh? People who commit to Christ and say, I'm going to be uh, a Christ follower, just as Ruth said, I'm going to follow you, Naomi. So a true believer in Jesus Christ is steadfast to be committed to the things of the Lord. And so I think we can kind of see a picture. It's not what you say, it's what you do. And so, although Orpah, we don't know the details, and I'm taking a little bit of liberty here, but she went back to her people and went back to serving the gods that she was serving. So I think that's a pretty interesting picture there. Um, verse 18, when she saw, now this is Naomi here, when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she stopped speaking to her. Now the two of them went until they came to Bethlehem. And it happened when they, came, when they had come to Bethlehem that all the city was excited because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? But she said to them, do not call me Naomi, call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full, and the Lord has brought me home again empty. Why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has testified against me, and the Almighty has afflicted me. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, with her, who returned from the country of Moab, now they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of barley harvest. That's an important detail that, that we'll, when we move to the next chapters that we, we need to understand the culture and what was going on um, with this harvest. So um, when Naomi comes back home, everybody's excited. Here's Naomi. And, but in verse 20, she says, don't call me Naomi, call me Mara. Well, if you look, Naomi means my delight. When you look that up in the Hebrew, that name means my delight. And when you look at Mara, it means bitterness. So she's saying, no, I don't, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. So she is in a very um, difficult state here. So from what we've read right there in this small section, what would you say about Naomi's emotional state. Think about it. What has what's what has just occurred in her life? She lost her she lost her husband. She lost both of her sons. She had no grandchildren. Yeah, sorrowful, maybe mourning, you know, um, feeling like you know like things everything is against her. Um, so. What's her perception? What's her perception of these events that have taken place? How does she interpret this in her mind? Yes. God's against me. God is dealing bitterly with me. And so she's taking these events 
these tragic events that have taken place in her life, and she is in a state of depression. And anyone would be. Think about it. I mean, most people, you know, you lose your husband or you lose your wife or you lose children. I mean, that's a very difficult thing. And so this woman's in a very difficult emotional state. And, um, you know, sometimes things happen in our life and the older you get, and I'm sure some of the, the people in this room that are older will testify on this fact, Sometimes difficult circumstances happen. Things happen in our life. And we might interpret them as God going against us or, or something that we did that causes, caused this to happen. And then later on in life, we, we can see what God was doing. So, so God's working. That's one thing I want you guys to realize about, and I know that it's emphasized in this youth group, that God's sovereign. And He's in complete control. He works all things after the counsel of His own will. That means nothing can occur in your life that has not already been through the grid of what God allows and what He disallows. So, you know, once we start taking a look at events that take place and, and thinking that the world is against us, which actually the world is against you if you're a believer, but everything is going against you and, and you're bitter at God. She was bitter at God because of this. But oftentimes, God gets our attention and then we see that He was working. And so that's what He's doing. God's working in this situation. And so, um, now we move to chapter 2 and I would like, so this doesn't get extremely boring and I hope it doesn't. Uh, I would like someone that can read loud to read verses 1 through 3 in chapter 2. Go, go for it, man. Okay, so I've got a little, uh, a little thing here that tells us what gleaning is. Remember we talked about earlier, this is, this is harvest time. So they go back to Judah and it's harvest time. The crops are coming in. And so you, you need to know what gleaning, who knows what gleaning is? Tell us what gleaning is. Yes, that's right. Yep, that's it. And so that was part, and that comes from the Old Testament law in Leviticus. So that was part of God's plan is to leave a portion and also not to, when they went through, the when the reapers, they called the reapers, went through and harvested, they weren't to go back and get seconds. So the people, and try to see what was left behind, and that was kind of like their welfare system for the poor and for foreigners that would come in. 
And so that's what's going on. So this character, which is a relative of, um, of Naomi, his name is Boaz. He's a very wealthy man. And, uh, and so Ruth's saying, hey, I want to go glean. And so that's what's going on in the first three verses. Would you continue with verses four through... And I'm sorry, your name? Casey. Casey. Yeah. Go four through twelve. Okay, and then someone, please, to finish 13 through 17. Go ahead. So, um, so in this section in chapter two, what is your initial reaction of the character of Boaz? What are some things in in here that when we're learning about this character Boaz, what are some of the first things that you think about this man? We know he was wealthy. What else, though? Was merciful, showed mercy to her. What else? What 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 do you think about when what what are the first words? Go back and look. What are the first words that proceed out of the mouth of Boaz when we when we look at when he's introduced? May the Lord be with you. So we're we're looking at a godly man here. We're looking at a man that has character just by what when we're 
just the little that we're learning about him, when you see a person and they're genuinely a believer, then they typically acknowledge the Lord. Usually within the first few minutes that you meet a person, you know, you should not that maybe they don't even say it verbally. Maybe it's just their demeanor and their character and the way they carry themselves or you know, just the way that they are, you know that there's something different about people that are godly people. And so, so this man, Boaz, he was different. I mean, he treated his workers well. He's, may the Lord bless you. You know, so this is a man that was a man of character. So how does Boaz view the character of Ruth? Look at verse 11 and 12. How does he look at Ruth? And what does he say about Ruth in verse 11 and verse 12? Yes, and the verse before that, what what did he what was reported to him about Ruth? Yeah. So evidently in this town, everybody, you know, when when Naomi came back and Ruth everybody had said, Hey, this woman, she didn't go back to her people and she has stayed with Naomi and and so here is a kinsman, here's someone that's a relative. Um that is getting a report, and he's, you know when he questions, who is this young woman? But he had he had already heard about her character. That's something that you guys need to think about when you're out and about. People know your character. People know the way that you respond, the way that you act, the things that you do. It's important as a believer in Jesus Christ if you're trusting Him for who He is, which is. Lord and Savior, that you behave in a manner that uh, brings honor and glory to Him. So evidently, you know, as I mentioned back in chapter 1, Ruth is kind of showing that maybe she was converted here. You know, she's committed to her mother-in-law and she's committed to the true God, the God of Israel. So how does Ruth respond to the kindness of Boaz? She does. She humbles herself. She falls down and she's so appreciative and wanting to know why, why are you giving, favor, giving me favor? Why have I found grace in your sight? What, what have I done? So she's of a humble and a kind spirit and a thankful heart and a thankful spirit which are all evidences of a changed life. You know, when you see somebody who have put their faith and trust in the Lord then you should see not a real cocky, not a real, you know, uppity, look at me type mentality. You should be seeing a person who is humble and thankful and doesn't feel like they deserve anything. Just like she didn't feel like she deserved it. I think that those are all characteristics of a of a true conversion. Turn to the next page and who else would continue to read 18 through 23? Y'all are doing a great job, by the way. Joseph. Yes.
Okay, so I just got one question in this section. How has Naomi's demeanor changed? Look at that verse 20. You remember where she was at the end of chapter 1? In just a tremendous bitter state of depression and mourning. Now what, what's changed here? What, what's her reaction in verse 20 whenever Naomi gets back? So, so now she's starting to see, okay, maybe God is in control. Maybe He's brought us back home. You know, maybe God's going to work this thing out. And so she's starting to, her, her attitude is starting to change. And she's starting to acknowledge the Lord, bless the Lord, and, and, and start being thankful again. You know, and so... Look, everyone in this room is going to go through difficulties. And, and sometimes God uses other people when we have an attitude that's not right, when we, when we say things that's not right, when we do things that's not right, then maybe a brother or a sister in Christ comes alongside of us and says, hey, you know, the Lord says that you ought to have a thankful heart and a thankful spirit. And that God promises that all things will work together for the good for those who love Him and are the called according to His purpose. So you need to think about this, that maybe these events that are taking place in your life, maybe God's going to work that out in conjunction. He, as a matter of fact, He promises that He will. So sometimes it takes somebody else to kind of remind us that God is in control, that God's sovereign. So as we move to chapter three and trying to move, we're going to move pretty quickly through these next two chapters. Uh, there's not a lot of questions in the next couple of chapters, but it's important for us to understand um, a few things about what was going on as far as, all right, let's go back real quick. So we got three widows here. We got two widowed women that didn't have any children. So God addresses how to deal with that, and He addressed that in the Old Testament. And somebody, if you would, read this section of Scripture here in Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 and 6. And this deals with what, what you're supposed to do, what Israel was supposed to do when a woman was widowed, and there were no offspring, there were no male children, or no children. Somebody read that, please. It is uh, on the bottom of the page, Deuteronomy 25, 5, and 6. Brad, would you read it?
Okay. So, so what, what all that says is that a relative, if, if, there wasn't another, if there wasn't a brother, and in this case there was not a brother, then a relative would need to take that widow and make her his wife and, and, and have children so that his inheritance and so that his name would not be lost. It was just part of the culture. It was part of God's plan. So when Naomi go, goes back to her homeland and she's got uh, her, her daughter-in-law, she's probably thinking in the back of her mind, she knew she had some relatives there. So we don't really know if she already had a plan to kind of work this out. But we'll notice in chapter 3 and 4, or chapter 3, she begins to develop a plan here. So who would read uh, chapter 3, maybe verses 1 through 6? Go ahead, buddy. So you're probably wondering, what is a threshing floor? So I got a little note in there to tell us what a threshing floor was. You know, when you were harvesting um, grain, they just have, it's probably like a barn or a flat surface, and they would take the, um, the husk and the straw and they would just beat it on the floor. And when I was reading about it, they'd actually let the livestock kind of walk over it and it would kind of loosen up uh, the grain. And so it was called a threshing floor. And another thing that's pretty interesting um, as we read on is why was Boaz sleeping there? And so they were prone to get robbed. These threshing floors, if you know, when the harvest was coming in and all the grain was there, usually the owner or somebody would sleep there while they were while they were um, had the gleaning, not gleaning, I don't know what you'd call it, but while they were using the threshing floor to, to remove the grain from the husk and the straw. So, um, so we find out in those first few verses that, that you guys read right there um, that Boaz is a relative. And, um, and so she knew... She knew the Deuteronomy Scripture, and so she kind of devised a plan for her mother-in-law. So what does verse 5 and 6 say about Ruth? What does 5 and 6 say? Go ahead. Yeah, that's it. She was obedient. She did exactly what her mother-in-law told her to do. You know, that's true obedience. You know, I remember uh, raising my children... You know, if you did part of what your parents 
said, that's not obedience. You do exactly what your mom and daddy tell you to do. You know? Or what your mother tells you to do. Whoever's raising you, you know, whoever's in charge, that's obedience to do exactly what you're told to do. And so that is exactly what Ruth did. She did exactly what Naomi told her to do. Alright, someone to continue verses 7 through 18. Long section. Who can do it? Go ahead. Yeah, 7 through 18. Thank you, Josh. So there's kind of an interesting story, you know. Kind of hard to really understand. Um, I tried to read about the significance of uncovering the feet. You know, um, from, from everything that I've read and just from, from reading the book itself, I don't think there was anything inappropriate going on here. You know, this was, there was no sexual relationship going on here. Uh, she just did what her mother-in-law told her to do. But evidently, when he woke up, he understood why she was there. And she, she wanted him to marry her and to carry on her husband's name. And, and so, you know, so he understood. And, and, you know, think about it. Boaz was an older man. You know, he... he um, he tells her, you didn't go after the younger men. You know, she could have. There were a lot of younger men there. But she was very loyal and very kind to Boaz. And so he, he knew what was going on. He was also probably a little bit worried too because he didn't want anybody to see them, uh, see her leave thinking that there was anything inappropriate going on there. 
But uh, absolutely, um, I think the primary thing to focus on here is that Ruth did exactly what Naomi told her to do. And so now the plan's going to develop. And so now let's begin chapter 4. And who would read verses 4 through 9? Go ahead, buddy. I'm sorry. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 9. My bad. Okay, and then one last reading, 10 to 22. Somebody that hadn't read yet. Go for it, buddy. Yeah, chapter 4, verses 10 through the end of the chapter, 20, verse 22.
Okay. All right. A few more minutes, guys, and we'll we'll be done. But this is kind of maybe the most important part, this last section to kind of try to pull it all together. And I really appreciate y'all's attention. It's tough going through an entire book of the Bible in less than an hour. So y'all have done a great job of really focusing and paying attention. So let's let's uh, let's go a few go over a few more things and we'll and we'll finish up. Um, so a few things that I thought well, show how Boaz how did he apply wisdom whenever he went to approach the relative? What are some things that that he did that showed that this was a a, a very wise man in the way he handled this? Go ahead. He made sure he had ten elders of the city. Made sure he had witnesses. You notice how he presented the land first and didn't throw in the bonus of Ruth. You know he says, you know, hey, our our brother Elimelech, you know, he, you know, his land before we let it go to a stranger, you know, you you got the first right to purchase. Will you redeem it? Oh yeah, I'll, I got it. I'll redeem it. Oh, okay, great. You here? You got witnesses here? You're going to redeem it? Uh, also, you know, you got to redeem Ruth as well. Oh, wait a minute. I don't. I don't want to mess up my inheritance here, mar my inheritance. But see, he presented it in a way to where there were witnesses. There were elders of the city that were witnesses, and so he did everything proper. It was evidently. And think about it. This is just the day after. Ruth was at his feet, so he was probably in much prayer about how to handle this situation, and so he handled it in a way that I think uh, showed a lot of wisdom on his part. Um, what do you think the significance is at the end of this book with the genealogy? What do you see interesting about this genealogy? Yeah. Yeah. What does that show you, Josh? We should just end it with that, Josh. That was good. But yeah, exactly. I mean, God took a Moabite woman and and King David, which ultimately the Lord Jesus comes from that from that line. And so that shows us that that we um, were strangers, just like you know Ruth was a stranger. She was a foreigner, just like we're foreigners, and. Um, and we need a redeemer. So that kind of what Josh said also talks about, and we've kind of talked a little bit about God's sovereignty. Can you guys see how God is always in control? Even when a difficult events take place in our life, when we lose people we love, when things happen that don't seem right, how God is still continuing to work His plan. I mean, it's tough when you're in the midst of some very difficult trials and tribulations. It's tough for everybody. But God is in complete control. He's sovereign. 
He is going to work His plan. And we, as His children, have the responsibility to trust Him. To trust that He is in control. To trust that He will do what He says that He will do. And that He will fashion us into the man or to the woman that He intended you to be. And that He that, you know, the Word of God says that He that began a good work in you will complete that work. So that comes through difficult circumstances that are out of our control. So I think it's an excellent picture of uh, God's sovereignty. It is an absolute picture of salvation. You know, this book, you know, we, we look at Boaz as a picture of the Redeemer, a picture of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And uh, so, you know, once a person is born again, and then you go back and you start seeing these glimpses of Jesus Christ throughout all the books in the Bible, like what this ministry is doing right now. What an awesome exercise to be able to do that and to see our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ in this book. I, I, I thank you that you gave me this book because this was probably one of the easier ones, you know. So I've really enjoyed it and I really appreciate y'all's attention and um, thank y'all so much for allowing me to teach this evening. So.